Hello, and welcome to the Wicked Wednesdays podcast. This is episode three. It's April 15th, 2020. Last week on the podcast, we talked about how we got started in the amateur porn business. That's something that I want to get back to at some point and give some more pointers and some more advice on how to make a successful amateur porn channel. This week, I'm going to talk about kind of a BDSM basics. And this is inspired by a conversation I had recently about the nature of submissiveness and dominance in the BDSM world. So if this is a new subject for you, if you are new to the BDSM scene or you have been in for quite some time, I hope this is a encouraging and enlightening conversation. Um, and I hope it's helpful. So the word submissive in America, it might as well be an insult or a slur to say someone is submissive. And that's a very wrong headed, harmful notion. I'm not sure where dominant people think they would be without submissive people. If you're going to be a leader, you need to have people to lead. That seems to make sense to me. And yet in America, if you're not number one, if you're not, you know, dog eat dog, shark tank, I'm going to be number one at all costs. You're somehow lesser. You're somehow a failure. And that's a very harmful and very wrongheaded way to look at the notion of submissiveness. So I wanted to take some time and talk about that this week because I do feel like submissives are disparaged and thought badly of in our society, especially American society. I know that in other parts of the world, it's not quite so fundamental a misunderstanding of the nature of submissiveness. Imagine a world where everybody was dominant, where everybody was a leader. Imagine trying to get anything done in a group setting with 10 people all saying that, no, we're going to go this way. Imagine a world where everyone was a follower, where everyone was a submissive and no one being able to make a decision, everyone wanting to defer to the person next to them. Neither of those scenarios works very well. In the military, you don't have a hundred leaders on a team. You have one leader and a hundred followers. That doesn't mean that the followers are sheep or that they're stupid or that they are incapable of self-direction. It means that for the time appointed, this person is the leader. This person is responsible for making decisions for the group. And that is a fundamental aspect of human civilization and group dynamics going as far back as we can possibly look through the archaeological record, through civilization, through the annals of history, the world has been divided into leaders and followers from the basic family unit to a small village, to a large city, to a country. We like to have somebody in charge and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I think we're fundamentally hardwired to want that. I think where we've gotten a bit off track is in devaluing the role of the submissive in devaluing the role of the follower 
Because again, you can't be a leader unless you have people to lead. And not everyone is naturally able to be a leader. And not everyone is naturally submissive. I think whenever you take an entire population of people and you chart out one characteristic of them, you get the classic bell curve with most of the people falling in the middle of the bell curve and then tapering off towards the end. You know, if you have the people on the right being, I am absolutely dominant and I cannot submit to anybody at any time. And on the far left, I'm completely submissive and I absolutely submit to anybody. Most people are in the middle. They find themselves in some situations taking a leadership role and in other situations taking a subservient role, a follower role. And that is fine. That is healthy. None of us have universal competence. You know, I'm a very dominant person by nature. I always have been. I also grew up in martial arts where consistently throughout my life, I have placed myself in a followership position to somebody else who knew more than I did, who had more experience than I did, who was more capable than I was. And I chose to follow that person, to place myself in a position of subservience to that person. Because that's how you learn. That's how you become better. That is how you become more skilled, is you follow the example of someone who is more skilled than you are. As a dominant person, part of being dominant is understanding when it's time to step back and say, that person knows more than I do. I'm going to follow their expertise. That's just common sense. Part of being a dominant person is understanding when it's time to step back and let somebody else lead. That person may know where they're going and you don't. That person may have more experience or more expertise. They are a leader in whatever the situation is. That doesn't mean that they are the boss of you in everything you do at all times. That means that they know where they're going. I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to allow them to lead. That's a fundamental leader follower relationship. There's nothing wrong with placing yourself in a followership position with someone that knows more than you do or has more experience or more expertise. Any dominant should be able to do that. If you are unable to recognize that somebody else has authority over you in anything, I think that's a fundamental character flaw. You need to reassess yourself and think, do I actually know more than everybody else in the world about everything? Probably not. And you need to be able to humble yourself and understand humility and have the security in yourself to say, yeah, I'm a very capable person, but this person has experience and capabilities that I don't have. Therefore, I'm going to place myself in a position of followership and learn from them. That's part of being a good dom and being a good human being. Submissive is not a bad word. It's not a slur. It's not an insult. Me personally, I have nothing but respect and admiration for submissive people. Because if you are comfortable being a submissive person, being a follower, you are going to be happier than if you are constantly striving to be a leader when that's not what you're cut out for.
a lot of people think, oh, I want to be a leader. I'm a leader. And they think they're a leader until they're placed in a role where they have to lead. Because being a leader means getting your own stuff together and then also looking out for the well-being of everybody around you. It can be hard enough to pack your bags for a trip and make the itinerary and make sure you know how to get where you're going. And then remember, oh yes, I'm also leading these other four people who are looking to me to tell them what to pack and how long we're going to be there and how we're going to get there and what we're going to eat and all the things that go along with being a leader. That can be very anxiety producing. That can be a great source of stress for someone who's not good at being a leader. Because remember, you have to lead yourself. You have to get yourself in order and all of your own personal things together. And then look out for the well-being of the people around you. Frequently, in fact, almost always placing the needs of the group above your own needs. You may want to have steak for dinner, but two people on your team don't eat meat. Well, that means you need to make a better choice. You need to make a choice that allows everyone to eat and doesn't make anyone feel like they're being left out, that they're not being considered. That's part of being a good leader. A lot of people who think they're dominant and who think they're leaders are really just selfish. They don't want to be told what to do, but they also don't want to help other people get to where they're going. That doesn't make them leaders. That doesn't necessarily make them dominant. That just makes them selfish. On the subservient side, understanding that, yeah, I'm a follower. I'm someone that likes to be led. That doesn't mean that you have to submit yourself to anybody. You know, whoever comes along and says they're an authority figure, you have to submit to them. No. Part of being a good follower is placing your trust in people who are worthy of that trust. Not letting just anybody tell you what to do, but only letting people you respect tell you what to do. That's part of good followership. That's part of being a good submissive, is choosing wisely who you gift your submission to. Submission should never be coerced or forced or intimidated or manipulated out of you. Like everything else in BDSM, consent is the key word. Do you consent to be submissive to this person who is a dominant? If not, then that is a bad relationship. That's an unhealthy relationship. But if you meet somebody who you do respect, who you do want to be led by, who you do feel safe with, who you do feel does a good job of leading you, and you consent to be led... That's a healthy relationship. So that fundamental question of why would anybody voluntarily give somebody else authority over them? Because it feels good to them. Because it feels fulfilling to them to be led by a competent, good leader. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let's please get rid of the stigmatization of subservience. Subservience is not a bad word. You need to have, even in the most dominant person, a respect and understanding of subservience. And there will come a time in everybody's life where they are in a situation where they need to step back and be subservient. You are not always going to be the most capable person in the room. 
you are not always going to be the most knowledgeable person or the most experienced person. And a lot of good teams can be destroyed by some dominant person's inability to take a step back and say, you know what, you should lead this, you know where we're going. Understanding that is a basic fundament of being a good dom. Understanding when, as a submissive, you are being poorly led is a fundamental characteristic of being a good sub. And throughout this talk, I'm going to talk about the responsibilities that doms have to their subs. And those responsibilities are very serious. At the end of the day, we are all responsible for ourselves. So no matter how submissive you are, ultimately your health and safety are in your hands. While a good Dom will anticipate and understand and see the needs of their sub, it's always paramount that the sub realizes, Hey, I'm in a bad situation. This person may be well-intentioned, but they are leading me poorly and they are hurting me, you know, mentally or physically. They are not fulfilling me. They are not being a good leader to me. And it's time for me to withdraw my submission. That can be very difficult for a subservient person. It can be very frightening to think, well, I would rather have bad leadership than be alone and left to fend for myself. That can be very anxiety creating in a sub. And I do understand that. I will say that it is better to be alone than to be misled. It is better to be alone than be in a relationship with a dominant leader who is harmful to you, who is making you feel bad, who is not fulfilling you, who is being very selfish and taking care of their own needs, but not considering the needs of the submissive. And I see that a lot in BDSM relationships where dominance even if they are naturally dominant and they are truly dominant, they don't understand that being dominant in a DS relationship is a heavy responsibility where they need to put the needs of their sub first. I've been in the BDSM world for a long time and I've seen a lot of DS relationships. Most frequently when I see an unhealthy DS relationship, I see a dom that doesn't realize that their fundamental responsibility is serving the needs of the sub. And that can seem very counterintuitive, right? You know, the sub is supposed to serve the dom. Well, yes, but the way that works is that means the dominant is creating opportunities for the subservient to fulfill themselves through service. Creating those opportunities, guiding the sub, leading the sub, that is service. And it's a responsibility. All leaders are servants of their followers. That is the big secret, is that leaders serve their followers. That's how it should be. That's how it often is not. Often what happens is you have someone who's very selfish in a dominant position, receiving a lot of service from the subservient person, but not giving back not taking care of, not leading, not helping to grow, 
not helping to create the opportunities for service that make a subservient person feel fulfilled. They take and they take and they take, but they don't give. And that can lead to very unhappy subs because they do have a heart of service. They do enjoy serving their dominant. They do feel fulfilled by that service, but they also need to be taken care of. They need to be led. They need to be guided and cared for as subservience. And if the Dom is not willing to do that, the Dom is not worthy of that submission. It can be very difficult for a subservient to recognize that they're in a bad situation and then act on the fact that they're in a bad situation. If that means, you know, going to a trusted friend and saying, I would like to talk to you. I don't feel right in my DS relationship. Do that. If it means finding some way of communicating with your Dom in a healthy way that you're not being fulfilled, do that. Don't be in a relationship where you are afraid to tell your dominant partner, hey, this isn't working. That leads to really negative outcomes and a lot of bad and hard feelings. The same is true for doms sometimes. Sometimes doms don't realize that they can tell their submissives, hey, I need a break. I can't be on all the time. I can't be dominant all the time. That's why, you know, often when I see 24-7 relationships with people that live together, I do often wonder, you know, how is that working out? Because I know as a dominant, I need time off. I need time where I'm not taking care of myself and another person. And that's something that you'll find in any leadership position. Being a leader is a lot of work and it's very stressful. Even if you're only leading one other person, you are taking on a lot of responsibility above and beyond just being a person in 2020 and living your life and taking care of your own bills and your own responsibilities. And submissives need to understand this to the extent of is your partner, is your dom being overtaxed by this relationship and do they need to step back? Now, mind you, that's not the responsibility of the sub. Doms need to recognize that in themselves and act accordingly. But submissives should also be aware of it to understand that if your dom needs some time off, it's not because you've been bad or you've done something wrong or you're being a bad sub. Sometimes the dom just needs to refresh and take a bit and get their energy back and then come back in a much better frame of mind so that they can be an effective dominant, so they can lead you properly. So have those conversations, have that dialogue, make sure that in any DS relationship, no matter how strict that DS role is, you are able to step out of it and have open and honest communication, you know, regularly take time and say, okay, I'm not going to be dominant. You're not going to be submissive. We're just going to talk about what's going on so that you can express how you feel and your feelings in a safe space where you are not going to be punished for saying the wrong thing in the wrong way. I think that's very, very important and very valuable. I don't want to get too much into the weeds on different styles of dominant and submissive relationships. 
I did just want to really address today that to be submissive is not a negative thing. It is not a bad thing in any way. Submissives are to be cherished and respected and honored because without submissives, there's no dominance. And without followers, there are no leaders. We need to have both. And it's very important that we respect the people who are willing to be followers, who are willing to be led, who are good at being led, who understand that through cooperation and through teamwork, we can achieve much better things than we can individually. And who understand that some people are more leadership oriented and some people are more followership oriented. And anybody who disparages followers and submissive people is missing the point because they are every bit, and I would say more valuable than leaders. You need more followers than leaders. And if we were all super dominant, hyper, you know, alpha leader type people, we would never get anything done. We would be constant squabbling about going left or right. And we'd never be able to make a decision. We'd never be able to cooperate and build anything bigger than a patio. So cherish submissive tendencies in people, support submissive tendencies in people, quit disparaging submissive tendencies in people. Submissives are amazing and they are worthy and they are valuable. And any person that considers themselves dominant, think about what you would be without submissive people. It's, it's a good thing. Submissiveness should not be ever thought of as a negative. So let's get to our mailbag a bit. This week, we had a lot of positive comments on our videos and also on this blog in particular. A lot of people are saying that this is very informative and interesting for them and that they're excited about it. I'm excited about it. I've enjoyed the feedback. I know that this is not our highest viewed video. In fact, it's our lowest viewed video and I'm okay with that. Pornhub wasn't really designed as a vlogging platform and therefore there are not a lot of good categories for what I'm doing. I will continue to put this out on Pornhub. I'll continue to put the podcast out and it's getting picked up by more podcasting services. Right now we're on Buzzsprout and Stitcher. I'm trying to get on Apple, which does allow explicit podcasts like this and other, you know, whatever podcast of your choice. If you have favorites, let me know. and I'll try to get on that service. But yeah, I've, I've very much enjoyed the feedback. A lot of people are reaching out to me privately versus leaving comments in public underneath the video. And that's fine. I do want to address the questions and comments that I'm getting privately, but I won't read your username in a private comment, unless you specifically say, you know, I'm okay with you attributing this to me and putting the comment on the screen. Just because on the public stuff, if you put it out there in public, then it's fair game. If you write to me privately, I'm not going to, you know, put your account out there, even though obviously none of us have our real name on our Pornhub account. I still want to give you guys a modicum of privacy when you write to me privately. So something that I get asked a lot, uh, I'm not trying to be mean about this, but I do want to make it very clear. People will frequently write to me and say, hey, I really love this model. How can I have a night with her? 
it's not that kind of relationship. Um, I have nothing wrong with sex work whatsoever. I have good friends in the sex work industry. I respect that as a job and as a trade. And it's, you know, every bit as valid as what I do. I'm selling my body for money. I get that. But the models in our videos aren't um, sex work oriented. There's not a situation where you pay us for time with one of my models. It, it just doesn't work that way. All of my models are free to see whoever they want to see. Um, they all have partners outside of our relationship, including my, you know, my partners that are doing this. We're all polyamorous. So they have boyfriends. My girlfriends have boyfriends. We'll have a whole episode on that sometime. So they can choose to be with anybody they want to be with, but none of them are interested in, you know, having sex for money specifically. So no offense on that. We understand. I know that there are some models that do, you know, have that kind of arrangement and that's fine. It doesn't work with our models. So no, you, you can't have, you can't pay for time with any of our models. We are happy to make custom videos, however, and we have been getting more requests for that. We have a button on our page. Some people were saying it wasn't working. At the same time, we are getting custom video requests through that service. So maybe refresh your browser or try a different browser. Um, that button does work if you would like to see a custom video with any of the models I shoot with. Uh, another question that we got recently was, how do I meet these models? So originally, as I talked about last week, um, Bunny and I were a couple before we started making porn. We had filmed some stuff on our own, and then we realized that, hey, maybe someone would pay to see this. And then we started uploading a lot of videos. And I think Bunny and I have 40 or some videos up. So that relationship was, you know, an ongoing established thing that I was in a relationship with someone who was comfortable making porn and therefore we made porn. And there are a lot of models on Pornhub that fall into that category. Like they're a couple and they make porn together. And then there's kind of what I'm becoming now, which is I'm starting to work with people who are not my actual partners. How does that happen? I can tell you as a amateur porn producer, finding models to work with is very difficult. And I do get that question, you know, where do you find your models? Well, right now the answer is they find me. Almost every day, someone will write me, hey, I really like your videos, how can I work with you? And I take that seriously because Katja, Ruby, and Sadie all reached out to me through Pornhub. They liked what they saw and they wanted to have either an actual relationship with me or they just wanted to film with me um, because the kind of stuff that we produce excited them and turned them on and they wanted to be part of that. I think a lot of time when people reach out to me and they say they want to film with me, it's kind of fantasy. It's kind of wish fulfillment and they don't expect a response. And then when I do respond, they're very surprised about it. And at that point, sometimes they realize, oh, well, I want to be a porn star, except that I don't want to do porn star stuff, which I totally understand. The possibility of your friends and family seeing your videos can be very daunting to people. The possibility that it may interfere with your real world job 
I totally understand that. There are still a lot of places that it would be a bad thing if they found out you made porn on the side. I'm hoping that we reduce that stigma and we get rid of that stigma altogether, that somehow you can't be a good person and a responsible person and also make porn because lots of people watch porn and lots of people are more than happy to disparage and denigrate the people who make their porn entertainment. And I don't like that, obviously. This is what I do for a living. But also in general, like making porn doesn't make you a bad person or an irresponsible person or someone who can't be trusted, you know, with a regular nine to five job. So I would like to see that go away. But in the meantime, we have to live in the world we live in. And I know that many people who reach out to me say, oh, I really want to film with you, but, you know, I'm afraid that my coworkers will see it or I'll get fired or I can't imagine a situation where I would be able to do that because of my real world job. And I completely understand that. Other people, you know, they're in situations where they can make porn with me. And they're not worried about losing their job. They're not worried about their friends and family finding out. Sometimes it's a matter of distance being a factor. You know, for some reason, I happen to have a lot of fans in Canada. And I love all you Canadian fans. Um, it can be more difficult to film with somebody in another country. It can be difficult to film with someone who lives on the other side of the world. Or lives on the other side of this country. Because it's a big country. So that's one of the factors that goes into it. Is there a way for us to meet where making the video doesn't cost more than the possible revenue from the video? It doesn't make sense to me to fly to Belgium and film with somebody if I'm not going to then return thousands and thousands of dollars of profit on that video. And that's unlikely. Most of our videos don't make thousands and thousands of dollars. It either has to be close to me geographically, or it has to be close to one of the places I frequently travel to. So if it makes sense when I'm in that other state, you know, to drive a few hours and film with somebody, great. If not, then, you know, I'm, I'm flattered by the offer to film with me, but unless we can find a way to meet up in a cost-effective way, then it just isn't going to work out. Another question that I got asked in a private message recently was, you know, how do you find all these girls that are so into anal? Not everybody that I film with or that I, that I'm partnered with is into anal. Like that's something that is very individual. A lot of the people I'm currently filming with saw our videos on Pornhub. That was their particular kink. And so it's a self-selecting bunch. Like the people that come work with me are into what I do. And since what I do are hard anal videos, that kink works for them. In the real world, if you're, you know, dating your random person, they may not be into it. And if they're not into it, it's wrong to manipulate, coerce, or force them to be into it. You know, there's nothing wrong with communicating your kinks to them. You can tell them, hey, I'm into this. But if that's not something they want to explore, you need to respect that and you need to not pressure anybody to be into that. The only thing I can say is find somebody that is into what you're into. They're out there. It may take a while to find them, but there is definitely somebody that's into your kink. I don't go out seeking people that are into making hard anal videos. They come to me. And finally, um, 
tying in with the question that I just answered, a question that we get very frequently and we got again this week was, to paraphrase, you know, I'm really into kink and I'm really into BDSM and I don't think my partner is. So how do I get them on board with, you know, my kinks and my BDSM lifestyle? That's difficult. And here's why. First off, make sure that you're communicating. And I know that can be a very stressful conversation to have. You know, a lot of people are worried about, well, if I tell my partner that I'm really kinky, maybe they won't like me and maybe they will think I'm gross and weird and there's something wrong with me. Well, here's the deal. Like, do you want your partner to be with you for who they think you are or who you actually are? Personally, I never want someone to be with me because of a facade that I have put up or because they have a a misunderstanding of who I am. I want my partner to like me for me. And that means all of me. Um, But obviously that's the ideal. Sometimes people find themselves in relationships and they've been in the relationship for a long time. And maybe they just discovered that they're kinky. Maybe they read a book and some of the scenes had BDSM elements and that really turned them on and they want to experiment and explore that with their partner, but they are worried about bringing that up with their partner because they might receive a backlash from that. And I I get it. I know that it's one thing to say, live honestly and never have any secrets. And another thing to be in a real life relationship where sometimes for whatever reason, you can't be fully open about who you are. So first have the conversation and instead of talking to your partner and saying, Hey, I want you to tie me up, which may be putting them in a situation where they don't feel like they can say no, or they may be very put off by that. You can ask them, Hey, you know, have you ever thought about this kind of thing? Have you ever wanted someone to tie you up? What are your thoughts about kinky stuff? Does that turn you on? Or you can ask them, you know, have you ever done anything kinky? Have you ever done any experimentation with this? That allows you to distance yourself a bit from the question instead of putting it directly to them. I want to do this, which puts them in a situation where they have to respond positively or negatively. If you're doing it third party, if you're saying, have you ever done it? Or have you ever thought about it? Or do you have any experience? Or is it something that you've ever thought of? Yeah, they may get the hint. They may think that you are trying to ask them about it. But you can handle it a bit more delicately. And it does give you a bit of escape room. It gives them a bit of escape room. If it's not something they're into, they can say, no, I've never really thought about it. It's not something I've ever wanted to try. And then you can let it go. Or you might find out something about your partner that, oh yeah, they've done this before and they enjoyed it, but they didn't know you were into it, etc. In that kind of situation, if their response is negative, then you do have kind of the escape of, oh, well, yeah, it's not something that I wanted to do. I was just curious because I was reading about it in this book. Now that may not be a good situation for you because now you do have something that you want to explore, but you have a partner that doesn't want to explore that. But at the same time, it's not quite so confrontational as saying, I want you to do X because once that has been put on the table, 
it can be very difficult for your partner to gracefully exit from that. So let's assume that you have had the conversation. Let's assume that you have approached your partner and said, Hey, I've been really getting turned on by this kinky stuff lately. Is that something you're interested in? And your partner says, no, I don't really, I'm not into that. I don't want to do that. Then what? And that's frequently where people have reached out to me, where they have had that conversation and they're trying to find ways of kind of ushering their partner into it when their partner is not into it. I wish there was more encouraging stuff I could say, but just like I don't believe that people choose their kinks, I don't necessarily know if someone can choose to be kinky. There's a lot of stuff that partners will do for each other that they're not necessarily super fans of, but they don't mind either. That's part of being in a relationship. That's, you know, your partner likes scary movies. You don't really like scary movies, but you don't mind them. You know, so you compromise and you watch scary movies on occasion, but you don't watch scary movies every night because that's not your thing. With kinks, you know, with any kind of sexual thing, it can be difficult to do something for your partner that you're really not into. You know, if your partner wants to be tied up, but that doesn't work for you or you don't feel good about that or it makes you feel weird then I don't encourage necessarily just gutting it out for your partner you know I do encourage people to be open to experimentation give it a try don't be so close-minded about it that you just shut it down but if you've tried it and it doesn't work for you it doesn't feel right for you then yeah you do have to communicate that with your partner and you have to say you know, I tried it. I tried tying you up and I, I didn't like it. I wasn't into it. I didn't like spanking you. I didn't like whatever it was that your partner wanted from you. I feel like you do have to be honest about that. You do have to be open about that. You know, for me, I'm polyamorous. And so I have multiple relationships concurrently and everybody is aware and on board about that. So if I have a partner that's not into kink play, that's fine. Um, I don't pressure them to do kink stuff. I don't expect them to do kink stuff. And I don't make them feel bad for not doing kink stuff. That said, I have other outlets. I have other partners I do do kink stuff with. And so for me, it's not a huge sacrifice. I certainly understand that not everybody wants to be poly and not everybody is good at being poly. Not everybody can even consider being poly based on their relationships. So, you know, let's look at the monogamous couple where one person is into kink and the other person isn't. I don't think you can coerce your partner into being kinky. You can talk about it, be open about your feelings, expose them to kind of light kink things, show them a lot of patience and time let them warm up to it. Let them understand it's something you desire, but you can't hold their feet to the fire or, or make them feel bad for not being kinky. It's one of those things that, you know, sometimes someone takes up golf and they would really like it if their partner did golf with them, but their partner hates golf. And so they have separate interests. It may have to be that kind of thing. Um, I know personally, a lot of relationships have not worked out because one partner 
was very kinky and the other one wasn't and they expected the other one to get on board and they never did or in the midst of an otherwise vanilla relationship one partner discovered their kinks and discovered you know that that was a very fulfilling thing for them and the other partner could not get on board with it it's not that other partner's fault like there's nothing wrong with someone who isn't kinky there's nothing wrong with someone who is kinky it's just the way it is. And if you reach an impasse where everything else is good in your relationship, but you know, you aren't on board kink wise, you have to make some hard calls. Like you may have to say, well, you know, I guess I'm not going to have that kink aspect in my life. Or you reach an understanding that you are allowed to go play in a kink environment and that's okay. You know, not everybody's going to be open to that, and that's fine. You can't expect someone who entered into one kind of relationship to automatically go along with whatever you want because you grew in a different direction or you changed or you discovered something about yourself that wasn't part of the original deal. You can always ask them to be on board, but they can always say no, and they're not in the wrong for saying no. So... You know, perhaps we'll get into that in a more in-depth subject. I'll talk to some people that were specifically in relationships like that and how they ended up moving forward or not moving forward. But yeah, so I will say, communicate with your partner and then be respectful of your partner when they communicate back to you. If you say you want to try kink and they don't, don't force them, don't pressure them, don't guilt them because if they didn't sign up to be in a kinky relationship, you can't just change the rules unilaterally. All right. This has been a great talk. I appreciate it. I will edit this together and get it out this evening.